Hello and welcome to Scan Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what is just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode, in which you can get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about these news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into the stories and give our takes. Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news summary. This week, we'll look at two stories on facial recognition and aspects of research in the corporate world at Google. In yet another case stoking controversy over the technology, a New Jersey man spent more than a week in jail after being detained by police on charges of shoplifting, assault, and drug possession related to a January 2019 incident in the Hampton Inn Hotel in Woodbridge, New Jersey. That same month, police submitted a picture from the suspect for facial recognition analysis and found a high-profile comparison to 33-year-old Najir Parks. The police sought an arrest warrant, and while Mr. Parks had previously served time for other convictions, he had never been to Woodbridge and could not have been involved in the incident. Mr. Parks is now suing local authorities for his arrest. Not too far away, New York has been taking steps against facial recognition. Governor Andrew Cuomo signed legislation on Tuesday pausing the use of facial recognition technology at K-12 schools in the state for two years. The moratorium follows an attempt by Lockport City School District to install facial recognition-equipped cameras at its schools. Debate will continue on facial recognition as the New York State Legislature will pass a bill next session to study facial recognition technologies and related concerns. Next up, Google's London-based research lab DeepMind recently made news for its protein-folding AI algorithm AlphaFold. But despite its numerous accomplishments using reinforcement learning, the AI lab has been costing Alphabet hundreds of millions of dollars in losses each year. While companies like Amazon are happy to sustain losses in order to gain market share and eventually become profitable, DeepMind is different in that it is a research lab that has been repurposed into a semi-commercial outfit to survive. While Alphabet might be happy burning its money on DeepMind for now, there's no guarantee that will last forever. Finally, the recent incident involving the firing of Tim Gebru brought attention to Google's control over research done by its scientists. It has been found that this year, Google tightened control over its scientists' papers by launching a sensitive topics review, and in multiple cases, asked authors to avoid casting its technology in a negative light. In one example, a Google paper on recommendation AI raised concerns that the technology that personalizes YouTube content feeds can promote disinformation and discriminatory results. The final publication instead says that the systems can promote accurate information, fairness, and diversity of content. The published version also omitted credit to Google researchers. Google's new review procedure asks researchers to consult with legal, policy, and public relations teams before pursuing topics such as those Gebru researched, like face and sentiment analysis. That's all for this week's news roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events. 
Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had a summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers. I am Andre Krenkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. My research focuses mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation. And with me is my co-host... I'm Sharon, a fourth-year PhD student in the Machine Learning Group, working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis, as well as to medicine. Happy New Year, uh, Sharon. We took a break for a couple of weeks. There weren't, weren't too many stories to discuss. Okay. But now we are back and... Uh, Back to discussing various problems with AI and kind of the usual things seem to be uh, what we'll discuss this week. Starting off with this article uh, from Reuters titled, Google told its scientists to strike a positive tone in AI research documents show. So following up on all the controversy you had last year with uh, Timnit Jebru, uh, here is a pretty kind of weird idea of Google telling and, and a, a sort of tone policing research that researchers within the company are doing, which at least in academia usually isn't what you stri- want. You want to, you know, get new information. You want to have new results to showcase. It's not about kind of being positive about AI necessarily. So not very surprising, maybe surprising that these documents show specifically how it happened. Um, Yeah, what do you make of these news, uh, Sharon? Well, I think it basically officially puts Google as, and potentially other companies uh, as, their AI team is their marketing team, right? So I think it officially puts them in that bucket, uh, which, for better or for worse, um, might uh, m- might deter a lot of people, but also maybe as a splash of cold water and being like, this is what it is in industry. Um, you don't get the same academic freedom as you do in at, at various universities. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, exactly. And uh, it further kind of emphasizes that you are limited in your research, as you said, and especially if you're doing ethical AI research and sort of looking into misapplications of AI or problems of AI, uh, then companies might well restrict you. So interestingly here for me was that uh, within the documents that were found, there were lists of sensitive topics and the sensitive topics included China, COVID-19, insurance, religion, and systems that recommend or personalize web content. So a lot of stuff is sort of marked as sensitive and limited to these researchers. So yeah, perhaps not overly surprising, but these documents kind of further demonstrate for anyone thinking to work at Google what they will have to contend with, which we will not, hopefully, not as far as I know, contend with in academia. Uh, I haven't heard anything kind of similar here. I would say the one similar thing is 
you aren't really supposed to get very political in academia. I, I heard Stanford does get mad at you for stuff like that. Um, if you're very blatantly political, uh, where you kind, where you especially draw, like pull Stanford into the mix. Um, so I think there is some sensitivity around that. I remember my advisor telling me to like be careful um, when it comes to that. So sorry. yeah, and I guess it's true that in general there's politics within academia, right? Like uh, perceptions of you as a researcher and then how you position your research and so on that all exists but still this is a little qualitatively different in terms of having you know actual lists of sensitive topics and uh, much more of a heavy-handed approach it seems like yeah though i guess making this not opaque and transparent rather it is probably better for both sides. I think Google really wanted to seem like the best, you know, best everything, you know, you get money and you get the same freedom as academia, but, um, it's not exactly the same thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It seems like there definitely was a push to make Google seem like very caring about AI ethics. They had uh, their kind of AI guidelines or something that they pushed right the ethics yeah and the ethics like api or something like that like ethics as a service remember that yeah exactly so it's sort of strange to have these sorts of uh, ideas in place while positioning yourself to be a leader in ai ethics and so good that we are at least more aware of how they deal with things internally right and on to our next article, facial recognition tools and spotlight in New Jersey false arrest case. And this is in the Wall Street Journal. And so this is about a New Jersey man who's suing uh, the local authorities um, who he says wrongly arrested him based on false facial recognition tech. Uh, so basically matched him with someone who uh, did something not great and uh, he got falsely accused. Uh, and so this has definitely uh, intensified that debate over the accuracy of, of facial recognition uh, technology. I think this incident is definitely inevitable, a false positive, right? Uh, and I, it does make me scared to think how often it would happen. Um, yeah. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this, Andre? Yeah, it's maybe a sad way to start discussion this year we've seen several cases last year as we discussed in this podcast of kind of uh, facial recognition being used in uh, wrong ways to arrest people who didn't deserve it who had nothing to do with whatever happened and here again the story seems to be that uh, authorities said that they had a high profile comparison to a person and that led to issuing an arrest warrant. And so again, it looks like there's just not too much transparency, accountability, not much ability to really say if police are using facial recognition correctly or if they're able to just kind of run it through and get a warrant for anyone, even if it's completely inaccurate and uh, not reliable. So unfortunate and as you've said certainly not the first time we've seen this definitely not the last time we see this 
and um yeah hopefully uh something will change as far as police departments and how they use such technology so that there's fewer stories uh that we'll see this year right and i'm not sure we've seen as much movement in terms of actually getting the regulatory frameworks in place for facial recognition technology because, uh, I mean, a bunch of companies did a moratorium, right, on facial recognition tech. And I haven't seen much about actually effective regulation coming in place before those moratoria are are completed. And so that that is concerning, though. It's almost a good thing that this is sparking some debate around it and making us think about it again and still into this new year. Yeah, hopefully this year we'll actually see some news about attempts to uh, pass things, pass legislation around the proper use of facial recognition. Definitely something to hope for. And now uh, looking back a bit on last year, we can reflect and go over the article, The Year Deepfakes Went Mainstream from the Technology Review. And basically it's an overview of various applications of deepfakes that um, happened last year. So, so far in the history of deepfakes, starting from 2017, most of them were used for fake pornography, uh, not you know a very particular use case and, and a very bad one, but still a single one. And then last year, what was happened was there's just generally various overuses that were seen. So uh, female investigative journalist was um, kind of silenced and uh, aimed at with deepfakes. A female poet and novelist was also kind of uh, targeted as such. And we've also seen some positive uh, use cases, like uh, there's an investigative film, Welcome to, Te- to Chechnya, where uh, defects were used to protect its subject identities. And then there's other kind of uh, examples here of ads and so on. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think your title maybe is uh, overstating things a bit. Uh, and as far as the list goes, there's maybe like five or six uh, uses of deepfakes overall in terms of like one movie used it, a couple ads used it. Uh, I don't see much use of deepfakes out there yet, but maybe this is a sign that, you know, in the coming years, that will become much more of a case. Uh, what do you think of that, Sharon? Yes, I think um, the mainstream part is definitely true, given the fact that I think the Times, New York Times, um, uh, did did do an article on deepfakes, uh, which was actually very surprising. Uh, and I definitely think it'll be more and more relevant as we move forward. So it'll, like the, this past year was definitely a, um, the, the first kind of, burgeoning of this technology. But yeah, I, I was actually surprised at how little there was on the political front um, that I had seen. Perhaps there was more, but um, 
stuff on the political front didn't look as realistic or they, they looked um, very intentionally doctored and they, they indicated that as such. So I was surprised that that didn't happen as much, maybe because, um, I don't know, both parties thought that would be stepping over some line. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think we'll see more of it um, in coming months, years. Yeah, I guess uh, we had an overview that uh, I kind of helped edit over Sky Today titled The State of Deepfakes in 2020. And one of the things he pointed out was, yeah, there were no actual uses of deepfakes in the U.S. presidential election, which is maybe the highest uh, stakes election where you would imagine, you know, people would do all sorts of dirty tricks. So maybe a good thing that ultimately this sort of thing that people are afraid of hasn't come to pass yet. Uh, then again, maybe it's still to come. So... Let's hope that we'll see more positive cases of it being used for entertainment and not, you know, false information and so on. But it, yeah, interesting to look back over the last year and how it has been used. Well, on to our next article on a more positive note. Uh, 13 acquisitions highlight bit, big tech's AI talent grab in 2020 by VentureBeat. Uh, so, Based, and this is also with uh, another article um, titled AI Startups Raised $9.9 billion in Second Half of 2020, a 15% jump. And so definitely not as maybe the pandemic um, actually had a somewhat positive influence on uh, burgeoning companies, entrepreneurs uh, in the AI space because more went digital. Uh, so essentially uh, the article covers a bunch of large tech companies, including Amazon, Apple, Facebook, um, and of course, Google, uh, buying various uh, AI startups. Um, and I think one of the, the biggest and most surprising ones to me uh, was Amazon buying Zooks for uh, around $1.2 billion. Um, uh, Zooks is a self-driving car company. And so I thought it was interesting that Amazon might be looking into that space, or at least acquiring the people there uh, as competent engineers for some kind of autonomy work on Amazon robotics. Yeah. I was also, that was in particular an acquisition that is interesting to me because uh, Zooks is very ambitious and Amazon is <laughs> already in many markets. So if Amazon also goes into the self-driving uh, car business, they might, you know, take over everything. Um, and yeah, I found also the uh, information here about how much money was raised to be interesting. So uh, AI startups uh, raised less early in the year. So when the COVID-19 crisis uh, happened, it triggered a sharp fall in funding activity with AI startups raising 7.7 .7 billion between January and June a 30 year drop from 2019. So overall things started off uh, being pretty bad, but then um, by the end of the year, uh, in the second half of 2020, as it's noted, they raised 9.9 .9 billion, which is 15% more. So it sort of looks like maybe investors got a bit scared when COVID-19 hit and then the benefits of AI and, and the usefulness of this technology especially amid, you know, the COVID 
days when everything is virtual was highlighted and there was more money uh, for such companies. But it's kind of hard to say, but still, it's it's good to see that we are not yet in an AI winter. <laughs> you know, people are still doing startups, there's still money and all that. That's true. That's true. I, I do feel like the pandemic was or has been a very digital time. And as a result, it, it makes sense that these companies are benefiting, I suppose. Um, I think anything that is not digital has been suffering a lot in particular, the restaurant business and hospitality in general, um, travel. Uh, but I think a lot of things that are very software based, there are just so many more people online or spending more and more time online on a lot of these platforms. So I think it kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, I will say that none of these strike me as maybe Facebook's acquisition does, but all of these strike me as more aqua hires than anything. Um, so it's not like it, it's still like some huge, crazy breakthroughs. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say most of these acquisitions that are highlighted are maybe a little boring in a way. There was some on, you know, uh, CRM customer relationship management. There was a bit on, uh, that boring. <laughs> <laughs> a, a bit on uh, voice assistant. So maybe nothing too radical uh, yet. But uh, maybe we are at a stage with AI where it's still maturing. And yeah, people are still building out kind of the main applications. And we are just getting to a point where, you know, some technologies are maturing and being productized fully. And then no doubt as we keep getting new results and new uh, techniques in the academia side, hopefully those translate to more new startups uh, in 2021, 2022, and so on. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating if you like the show, please. Be sure to tune in next week. Yep, be sure to tune in next week. <laughs> <laughs>